God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. Thank you so much for coming. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there. So we bring that service to you wherever you are, anywhere in Israel, anywhere in the world. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Would you turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 24? And that's where we were last week, but today we're going to start at verse 29. It's a long chapter, and today we'll finish up chapter 24 of the book of Genesis. Remember in Hebrew, Hasefer Bereshit, the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. And we'll also show those verses up here for you in the video, just as you know, to make it easier for you to follow along and that's what we're going to be doing. That's where we're going to be. So open up those Bibles and let's get started. Today I'd like to talk to you about a woman of faith. Now last week we showed in the first part of Genesis 24 verses 1 through 29 the story about how Abraham had sent his trusted servant Eleazar to find a wife for his son, his only son. Isaac, Yitzchak, his name meant laughter, the miracle child that God gave to Abraham when he was 100 years old, 99, or 90 years old for his wife, Sarah. And now we see that Eleazar went on this journey and found this wife, Rebecca, and that she is a wonderful young lady, but the family is kind of reluctant to let her go. Well, we're going to see how that plays out now in the second part of this story. Let's start at verse 29, and we're going to read all the way through verse 67, I believe it is, at the end of the chapter. And I'll just go ahead and read all of that to you right now, and then we'll talk about all those verses. There's so many verses, it's kind of tough to talk about them as we go. It would take a long, long time, and well, you don't have that long right now. And so we're going to read all of those verses and then we'll cover them in great detail. Don't worry about that. It says in verse 29 of Genesis 24, Now Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Now in English people say Laban, but it's Laban. And Laban ran out to the man by the well. Verse 30 then continues, So it came to pass when he saw the nose ring in his sister Rebekah, and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, remember last week it talked about how the servant of Abraham put these expensive, wonderful gifts on his sister. And Laban knew that, wow, these were wealthy people that, uh, that she had met. And when he heard the words of his sister Rebekah saying, Thus the man spoke to me, that he went to the man. Laban went out to the man. And there he stood by the camels at the well. That's where the servant of Abraham was standing. Then verse one, uh, 31 continues. He said, then he said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? I prepared the place. <laughs> I, prepared, I prepared the house and a place for the camels. Laban was thinking about the money there. He was thinking about the wealth and the riches. And he saw his sister had gotten something expensive. He wanted to get in on that action, you see. But then we see in verse 32 <clears throat> that when the servant came to the house, 
that he unloaded the camels, Laban unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash the feet of the servant and the men who were with him. Verse 33 then continues, food was set before the servant to eat, but the servant said, I'm not going to eat until I've told you about my errand. And then Laban said, okay, speak on or go ahead and, and tell me. And so the servant said, I am Abraham's servant. And the Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he's become great. And the Lord has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my wife's, my, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when he was old. And to him and to that son, my master, Abraham, has given everything that he has. Verse 37 then continues. Now my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my family and take a wife for my son from there. Verse 39, And I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And you shall take a wife for my son, from my family, and from my father's house. Verse 41, you will be clear from this oath if when you arrive among my family, they do not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. But Abraham knew that the Lord was going to lead him and prosper him and bring this wife back through him. And so in verse 42, he continues and says, And this day, the servant is telling Laban, I came to the well and I said, just like we studied last week, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water here. And it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes out to draw water, I say to her, please give me a little water from your pitcher to drink. And she says to me, well, drink, and I'll draw water for your camels also. Let her be the woman who the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Remember, he had asked the Lord not only to, to give him the proper woman to uh, have as a wife for Isaac or Isaac, but that she would have a good heart deep down inside. Remember, the Bible says God doesn't look on the appearance. She might have been a very beautiful woman, but that doesn't matter. You see, God says He doesn't look on the appearance. He looks on the heart. So then in verse 45, we continue. It says, but before he could even finish speaking, the servant is now telling Laban, there was Rebekah coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder. And she went down to the well and drew water. And so I said to her, please let me drink. And she made haste. She hurried and let her pitcher down from her shoulder willingly. And she said, drink. And not only that, I'll give your camels a drink also. So I drank and she gave the camels a drink also. And they can drink a lot, remember, as we said last week. And so they, they last all this time going through the desert with no water and everything. So when they do drink, they store up a lot of water inside. <clears throat> and then verse 47 says, Then I asked her and said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Beduel, Nahor's son, whom Milchah bore to him. And so I put a nose ring on her nose and bracelets on her wrists. 
And I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother, exactly as Abraham had asked him to do. But he didn't know that she was the, the daughter of Abraham's brother, but the Lord led him exactly, precisely to her and put it on his heart to ask her, you see. And so the Lord had led her to the daughter of Abraham's brother for a wife for Isaac. And verse 49 then says, Now if you will deal kindly with me, he's saying to Laban, and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right or to the left. Then Laban and Betuel answered and said, This thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either bad or good. We don't know. All we know is that God is doing this. So verse 51 says, Here's Rebekah before you. Take her and, and go. <laughs> wow, that's a work of God right there. That's a miracle of God right there. And he says, Take her and go and let her be your master's son's wife. They knew Abraham. They probably heard about his success. It says, Let her be your master's son's wife. So as the Lord has spoken. Verse 52, And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words that he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. He knew that God had fulfilled everything that he had come to do. Verse 53, Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing, and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother, <clears throat> excuse me, and to her mother. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning, it says in verse 54, and, and he said, Now send me away to my master. But then verse 55, But her brother Laban and her mother Betuel said, Let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least ten days. After that she can go. But then verse 56, he said to them, Don't hinder me, don't hold me back, because the Lord has prospered my way. You know this. Send me away so that I may go to my master. Report back to him. So they said, We will call the young woman and ask her personally what she wants to do. In verse 58, Then they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And they're probably thinking like, well, she's going to stay here with us. She's not going to go with this stranger. She's going to be reluctant to go with him. But look at what she says in verse 57. And she said, I will go. Mm. <laughs> Another miracle of God right there. Verse 59, so they sent Rebekah away. They sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse to go along with her and accompany her and Abraham's servant and his men, and they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands, of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Now think about what they're saying there in that blessing. Didn't God promise Abraham that his descendants would be more in number than the sand on the seashore? more in number than the stars in the sky, the stars in the heavens, that if any man could number them, then they could also number the descendants of Abraham. In other words, they couldn't number them. These descendants would be many, many, many more than a man could even number. And now they're blessing their sister 
and their daughter, Rebecca, with this blessing, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Then verse 61, as we wrap up, <clears throat> it says, Then Rebekah and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Now Isaac came from the way of Be'er Lahairoi, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Then Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted. She got off of the camel, and for she had said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, He's my master. And so she took a veil and covered herself in humility. And the servant told Isaac all the things that had, he had done. And then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. And he took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Now, as we look at this story, we remember what happened last week. We remember how this servant, Eleazar, the servant of Abraham, had gone on this journey. We remember him arriving at the well and asking God to do this miracle. To show him which woman was the right woman, not only a woman that would give him a drink, because it was common in that culture in the world at that time, to be hospitable or to be kind and, and compassionate to the traveler that would come past your place of living and past the well. And so... You remember Jesus in John chapter 4 had also talked to the woman at the well in Samaria, and he asked for a drink as well. Well, so that started up a conversation that led to the gospel at that time. But we see it's a custom at that time to show courtesy, to show hospitality to the travelers that come to you. And that if they're thirsty, give them to drink. If they're hungry, give them food. If they have need of a place to stay, give them a place to stay. It was courtesy to do that at that time. And that's the way the whole culture was. In fact, people would be offended if a traveler did not stay with them. <clears throat> because to them, it was a blessing to them to allow that traveler to stay with them. And so they would be offended if the traveler turned them down. And so the traveler would also accept the offer and would stay with the people and would get a drink of something to quench his thirst. They would give him food and, and he would be refreshed and ready for his journey to travel on. Well, that's what had happened here. And that's the background of this culture. Now, when we see what's happened, it seems like the second part of Genesis uh, 24, the second half of this very long chapter, <clears throat> it seems that the servant is now going back to Laban and Betuel, who is the mother of Rebekah. And so he is going back there and explaining the story to them of exactly how this all happened. And they agree that it seems that this is from God. With all that happened, it was obvious that it was from God, and even Rebecca's family agreed. But they seemed to be reluctant to follow through and to send her away with Abraham's servant. That's why they asked for the ten more days. Now, the family sought to delay Rebecca's departure. And, you know, 
even in our lives after believing on the Lord. If the world does not succeed in persuading you to stay in the world and not follow the Lord, then it will seek to delay your, your leaving and following the Lord. You might be a believer, but it will seek to make your life of no effect to where if you stay parked and you never get out of there and go anywhere, then how are other people going to receive the good news of what you have found of salvation and forgiveness of sin in the Lord? How are other people going to know about Him if the world convinces you just to stay there and live like the world and you can be a believer and go to heaven, but just stay there and don't do anything for the Lord? That's the tactic that the world will take. It tries to persuade the believer to not do anything. Okay, you want to do this religious thing? You want to believe in Yeshua as the Mashiach, as the Christ? You want to believe on Him to go to heaven? Okay, do that. But then stay here. Don't get radical. Don't be a fanatic. Just stay here. You know, it's okay. God's going to let you into heaven now. But Satan wants to keep you to where you do not work for the Lord, to where you do not share the life-saving message of Jesus Christ to others around you. And He's going to seek you to where you do not answer the call of God and go forward in what God is calling you to do. And if He succeeds in keeping you there, then what were you saved for? Yes, you'll go to heaven, but how about all those other people? How will they know about the God who is so wonderful that He saved you, that He forgave your sins? How will they know about Him? How will they receive the good news if you don't go, you see? So anytime Satan tries to say, okay, well, don't get radical. Just hang around here and, and just, just do the normal things. You don't want to appear to be strange or weird to other people in the world. So just don't get radical. Just hang around here and, and do what you always have done in the world. Don't you follow Satan's words. You follow God's words. And he said, go into all the world. Proclaim the good news to everyone. And he who believes, hears and believes will be saved. And the one who doesn't believe will not be saved. But it takes a person who has the courage, who has the faith to go. And that person will change the world. And we're going to talk about such a person now in Rebecca. So it says the servant took Rebecca and departed after the family said, Okay, take her and go. And we can well imagine now, <clears throat> the conversations that Rebecca and Eleazar, the servant, had on that journey. It was a long journey. Here they are riding these camels. and You know, they didn't have carpool lanes in those days. And uh, those camels didn't go so fast. If you've ever seen a camel walk, you wonder how they ever got there to where they were going back to Abraham. But there was plenty of time for conversation. And, you know, it's, I mean, there were no video games. You didn't have that iPhone, you didn't have that Android phone to play video games on or to text mom about what happened today. You didn't post a picture on Instagram so that your family could see the wonderful places that you're traveling past now. You didn't have any of that. They talked. They talked. And so you can imagine the conversations that Rebecca and Eleazar had on that journey. And I'm just guessing, Just it's just a guess, it's not in the Bible, but I'm just guessing that 
they did have coffee because that was a long journey. And how do you stay in the saddle for a journey like that day after day after day without a good cup of hot coffee? Well, like I said, that's not in the scripture, but I just feel that inside. And oh, by the way, I just had my coffee about an hour ago and it works. It works. In fact, as I go along now, you're going to see me start to talk a little faster. That camel's going to go a little quicker. In fact, if I were them, I'd not only drink the coffee myself, I'd bring enough coffee for those camels to drink and make that journey a little faster than I would otherwise. Oh, why am I going down this road? has nothing to do with the scripture. Anyway, you can imagine what Rebecca and Eleazar talked about on the journey. Here she is, a young lady going to meet her husband. She hasn't even seen him. Her husband whom she loved without ever seeing. Now think about that. Those who believe on Jesus as the Messiah, think about that. She loved her husband without ever seeing him, knowing that one day she would see him. Mm -hmm. And he would be delighted to tell her things that he had been thinking, and she would get to know him, and she would look directly into his face. Think about those things. And so it says then, as they traveled, when they got there, this guy was coming toward them, and she took a veil and covered herself. Now this covering that she put on herself as she saw Isaac approaching the servant and the camels that they were on, she took a veil and covered herself. The covering with a veil signified chastity, that she was a virgin, that no man had known her, that she was modest and she was submitting to him as a husband. This was how Rebecca wanted to meet her bridegroom. This is how Rebecca wanted to reveal herself. She wasn't some obnoxious, loudmouthed girl. She wasn't some girl that dressed scantily and very few clothes to attract uh, this man. She was a woman who was pure of heart. She was a woman who was chaste. She was a woman who was modest and a woman who was in submission. She was a woman and these things had been taught to her by her family and in her culture. And just in her heart, she wanted to be modest. She wanted to be a woman who was pure to her husband. And so she was humbling herself before her husband when she covered herself with that veil. It's kind of like a way of saying, oh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not beautiful enough to, to deserve you. I'm not worthy of you. And, and she's humble, you see. Well, in the same way, when we see our Lord, before we see our Lord, we cover ourselves with humility. And we say, Lord, I'm not worthy for the wonderful gift of eternal life that you've given me. But thank you for it. I can't do anything to deserve it, Lord. But you gave it to me out of your goodness alone. You gave it to me out of your love for me. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. Lord, you gave me these things. Your love is so unimaginably higher than I can comprehend, Lord. Thank you. I don't have anything of righteousness to give to you, Lord. You are my righteousness. You've taken me. You've saved me. 
You've brought me to yourself. You've brought me into your kingdom, this beautiful kingdom of heaven. God, thank you. So she was also humble. She was modest. And she submitted herself before her husband. And she wanted him to know that she was grateful for him and that she would love to get to know him through the years. And so Isaac went out to meditate in the field that evening, is what he had said right before this. And as he was there, he saw the camels, and then that's when he started going toward, and that's when she put on that veil. But when he went out to meditate in the field, as it says in these last verses in this chapter, this was the first mention of Isaac in Genesis since he left the top of Mount Moriah where Abraham was going to kill him and sacrifice him on the altar. We don't see anything of Isaac from the time that God rescued him from death to the time that he was united with his bride right now. Think about that. From the time that Isaac really was, you could say, resurrected from a certain death, saved by the Lord, and brought off of the altar to where he would not stay dead, he would not be killed. You could say that the Lord resurrected him from the altar from the time that he was off of that altar. You did not see him again until he gets his bride. You see what I'm saying? In the same way, Jesus will one day come again and return for His bride. In fact, in all of this, we see these things coming together in such a way that it reminds us of another thing in the Bible. That's Jesus and His people, who the Bible calls, by the way, His bride or all who believe on Him. Look at the parallels. Look at the similarities between this story and the story of Christ and His bride. A father desired a bride for his son. A son was accounted as dead and raised from the dead, both with Isaac and then Rebekah, Isaac on the Mount Moriah, where the angel of God stopped the hand of Abraham from killing him and took him up off of the altar, raised from the dead, just, just literally it seemed like, and then... You don't see him again until he comes to get his bride. And then a nameless servant was sent forth to get a bride for the son. Now we've been saying Eleazar because we knew from previous chapters in Genesis that Eleazar was the trusted servant of Abraham. But in this chapter, chapter 24, it never names Eleazar as a servant. In this chapter when it tells this story, he's a nameless servant who was sent forth to get a bride for the son of Abraham. And the servant's name was actually Eleazar, as we said. We knew this. But now think about this. In Hebrew, Eleazar means helper of God. El, as we've said many times before, is a shortened way of saying Elohim, God. Ezar, you would say it in English, but it's Ezer, Ezra. Ezer means help in Hebrew. Remember Jesus in the book of John in the New Testament said, I will send you a helper who will be with you always, who will guide you, who will speak of all the things that I've said, who will guide you, who will keep you, who will give you boldness to proclaim my name. This servant's name was El 
which is short for Elohim, Ezer, which is help or helper. So helper of God. The servant's name actually meant helper of God. And so in this chapter, there's this nameless servant. By the way, the Holy Spirit is the, is the, sec, uh, the second person or the third person of the Trinity. And as the second person of the Trinity, he is God as the Son is and as the Father is. But he doesn't have a name like Yeshua or Jesus did, you see. He's nameless, but he's the Holy Spirit of God. And so a nameless servant sent to get Isaac the son a bride. A nameless servant sent to us to dwell in us, the Holy Spirit of God, to dwell in us and keep us and bring us safely to the Son, you see. This lovely bride in this chapter was divinely met. She was divinely chosen. The servant prayed that God would reveal her through a miracle, and God did. She was divinely called, and then she was lavished with gifts, given great gifts, in the same way those who believe on the Son of God are divinely chosen, and they're met by God and given great gifts. She was entrusted to the care of the servant until she met her bridegroom, the same way. The Holy Spirit cares for us and will protect and keep us and deliver us until we see the Lord. He will deliver us to the Lord, our bridegroom. The way Isaac and Rebekah came to meet each other is also amazing. They didn't date, really, in the modern sense. They served and they sought God. Remember, Isaac did meditate in the field. He went out that evening to meditate in the field and then God brought them together. They were both obviously more concerned with the will of God than the modern notions of romantic dating and love, like that. Isaac loved her. Isaac loved his bride. And Jesus loves his church. You see the parallels once again. That's the story of Christ and the church. All those who have believed on him, they are the bride of Christ. Both Rebecca and the church were chosen for marriage before they knew it. In Ephesians 1, verse 3 through 4, we see that confirmed. Both stories were necessary. Both of these stories, both of Jesus and the church and Isaac and Rebekah meeting each other, both of these stories were necessary for the accomplishment of God's eternal purpose and His plan for salvation and to give salvation to the world. We see that in Ephesians 3, 10 through 11. Both stories show the brides as destined to share in the glory of the Son. Rebecca is destined to share in the promises of God to Isaac, the church, the bride of Christ, and all who believe on Him. They're destined to share in the glory that He has and to give Him praise and glory and to be with Him in eternal life forever in the kingdom of heaven, the glorious kingdom of heaven. Both of these stories, the bride learned of the son through his representative. Both of these stories, Isaac has this unnamed servant who was sent. And the unnamed servant speaks of the son to his bride. What does the Holy Spirit do in our hearts? He speaks of the things of the son 
to us the bite of Christ. Both of these brides learn of the son through the son's representative. In both stories, the chosen bride must leave everything to be joined with the son. Oh, you know the story there. I don't even have to go there. You have to leave it all. You have to be willing to leave it all. And in both stories, the bride was loved and cared for by the son. Now look at both Isaac and Jesus. Look at the similarities here. God is telling the story of the gospel by telling of the story of Isaac. Isaac was not the Christ. He was not the Messiah. But God was telling the story of when the Messiah would come through the life of Isaac. Isaac and Jesus. Both were promised before their coming. Think about that. Isaac was promised for years before his coming. In fact, Abraham and Sarah were getting a little impatient, I think, at times, but both were promised before their coming. Christ was promised before his coming in the scriptures of the prophets, in the Torah, in the Tanakh, even Moshe Hanavi, even Moses the prophet had spoke of the Lord, saying, But the Lord will raise up from among you, from among your brethren, one who is like unto me. And it will come to pass that whoever does not listen to that prophet will be cut off from among the people. That was the words of Moshe Hanavi. If you trust in Moses of the Torah, listen to the words of Moses of the Torah, that God will raise up another like unto him. And it will come to pass that whoever does not listen to the words, to the voice of that prophet will be cut off from among the people. Oh, you see, yes, the Messiah, Jesus, was spoken of all the way back in the Torah, all the way through the prophets, all the way in the books of Psalms, the books of Psalms, and all these different things that the Tanakh had were promises of the Mashiach, of the Messiah of this one named Yeshua, which means salvation of God, rescue of God. You know that, you Hebrew speakers. Yeshua, salvation of Yahweh, salvation of God, because He will save His people from their sins. That's why you got to believe on Him. He's the one spoken of. He's the one that you must believe on to be saved. It's the most Jewish thing in the world to believe on the Jewish Mashiach, the one whom God would send to save mankind from his sins. So both Isaac and Yeshua were spoken of in the promises before their coming. Both of them, Isaac and Yeshua, finally appeared at the appointed time. Both of them were conceived and born miraculously. Jesus with the virgin birth. Isaac born to a woman who was 90 years of age and to a man who was 100 years of age, well, well past the age of childbearing. Both were conceived and born miraculously by the hand of God. Both of them were given a special name before birth. Remember Isaac. God said, you'll call his name Isaac, which means laughter. Yitzchak. God said through Gabriel, the angel in the New Testament, you'll call his name Yeshua, Jesus. Yeshua means salvation of God because he will save his people from their sins. Both Isaac and Jesus were offered up in sacrifice by their father. Abraham took Yitzhak up on the mountain, the Mount Moriah, and was going to sacrifice him. The father allowed his son Jesus to hang on the cross for the sins of mankind. 
so that there would be atonement for those sins and mankind would be restored to the presence of God so that sin in their life would not keep them out of the glorious kingdom of heaven, the place of the throne of God, a place in which no sin can dwell. Those sins had to be atoned for. And with sin in the life, no one can enter into that place. And we all have sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But God took our sins and put them on the, His Son, Jesus, who atoned for them. He is the Passover Lamb, the Passover sacrifice. And just like in Exodus chapter 12, is God said, When I see the blood of the blemish-free Lamb, on the doorpost of your house, I will pass over that house in judgment. And that is why it is called Pesach, or Passover. Both were called to bless all the people. Isaac was called to continue the blessing given to Abraham and to where he said, and God had said to Abraham, and through your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And now that blessing, as Abraham is getting old and is about to pass off the scene, that blessing is continuing on to his miraculous son, Isaac, Isaac. And through him, through his seed, who himself is the seed of Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. How is that? Because eventually Jacob would come through him and eventually the Jewish Messiah would come through him, Yeshua HaMashiach, and all of the nations of the earth will be blessed because they can be saved by believing on him. Remember God said in the Tanakh to the Jewish people, He said, of the Messiah, He said, And I will make you a blessing to all the nations. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, He said. In the Tanakh, in the Jewish Tanakh, God said to the Messiah, I will make you a light to the Gentiles that my salvation might be to all the earth, to all, to all the world. Both came back from the dead. Isaac got off of the altar because God saved him from death. Jesus got out of the tomb because God raised him from the dead. Both came back from the dead, you could say. <clears throat> both were called to bless the people, we said, and both had a place prepared for their bride. Abraham had been making the arrangements. Isaac had been waiting patiently for the servant to return. Both had a ministry of prayer. Isaac and Jesus both had a ministry of prayer until they were united with their bride. That's what it says, right? I mean, Jesus makes intercession for us as he's at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Until that day, the Father says to him, Okay, go and get your bride. And he calls the bride up to him and they meet with him in the air. Jesus is praying for us until we are with him. He's making intercession for us until we are with him. Isaac went out to the field to meditate, which the word is also used for prayer. And he's out in the field praying. He knows what the servant is doing. He's been told by his father. He knows what's going on. And he's praying that the servant finds the right bride for him. Praying for his bride that this will be a woman of God. Because he has grown up in the family of Abraham. And Abraham 
uh, is a man of God. Sarah, Sarah, his mother is a woman of God. He hears the stories of the miracles that God has done. And now he himself has learned to pray and he's out in the field praying. Jesus is praying for us until he's united with the bride of Christ. Isaac is praying for his bride as she's on her way to be with him. You know, we usually look at the story and we read about the servant's trip to get a bride for Isaac. But looking closer, there's another story here. This young woman, Rebecca, is truly a remarkable woman. She's a woman of faith. Think about this. She was willing to go all alone to a faraway place where God was calling her. Far away to someone she didn't know to leave everything she had, all of her security, where she had a well-to-do family, friends and family, and to answer, leave all of that to answer God's calling. Rebecca was a wonderful example of faith, first of all, to her family. Leaving the security of home and venturing into the unknown, knowing that God alone was calling her and He alone would care for her. She was an example of faith to her family. It would seem to me that as your family looks upon you as you step out in faith, at first they don't want to lose you. And so they say, no, you don't have to do that. You can serve the Lord right here. There's, there's people that you can bring the gospel to right here. You don't have to leave, but you have to do what God is calling you to do. If God calls you to the city that you live in, that's fine. But if God calls you halfway around the world, will you answer him? Or will you say, no, well, that's our friends and our family are all here. That can't be God. Oh, yes, it can be God. Because God calls you to a place where you are trusting Him alone. And if you don't have all those others around you, your friends, your family, all this other security that you've been leaning on, then you can't lean on them. So you have to learn to lean on God, to trust God. So it becomes a tremendous testimony to your family when you leave and follow the calling that God has for you. What is that saying to your family? It's saying, well, she's a little crazy to do this. He's a little strange to do this, leave everything that we have here. And that's, that's just not good common sense. But God doesn't use common sense in the terms of common man's wisdom. He uses perfect wisdom kind of wisdom that God alone has. And as your family sees that God takes care of you miraculously through the years, then they start thinking about it again. And then they go, well, you know what? I didn't agree with her when she left, but now I see God is doing something amazing in her and he's faithful. Somehow he's taking care of her. Maybe we can trust God that way too. You become a testimony to your family of faith in God. And then to your friends, the same way. They see, how can you leave us? We're your friends. You don't have any friends over there where God's calling you. But if you put complete trust in God and complete dependence upon Him, then even your friends will see, wow, look at what God's done in her life. Look at what God's done in His life because they trusted God because they left everything that they knew and trusted Him. In fact, even the community, the little community, those around her weren't friends, but just knew her. 
They weren't family, but they just knew her. Maybe they saw her go to school with their kids or something like that. Now she's grown and she answers the call of God. And they go, well, that's too bad. She left her family. She did all of this to go out on some mission thing or something that she says God's calling her to. But then after a while, they see that, wow, God's really working through that person. God's really faithful. He must really be working with her. Maybe we should think about serving God like that too. She can be an example. She intentionally, Rebecca intentionally put herself in a position where she had to trust God with everything. Every day, every meal, her very life. Placing herself in a position of learning to walk completely by faith instead of what she knew, instead of what her eyes were seeing. Instead, she was trusting God to help her, even when she was so far away in a strange land. She was trusting God. Oh yeah, Rebecca was a woman of faith. Now, later in life, we're going to see that she had some problems too. But you know what? Even then, she was a woman of faith in God. Now, back home, she had security. Back home, she had family. Back home, she had friends. Back home, she had a place to lay her head. On the trip, she had no place, riding on the back of a bumpy camel. Have you ever seen a camel? That's not really a very comfortable seat to sit in. What do you like, slide down the back of it, slide down the front of it? Every time that camel takes a step, it bumps like that. She had no place to lay her head, sleeping on the rocks and the dirt with the creatures and the bugs and things like that at night. At the new destination, she didn't know what awaited for her. She had no place, really. She was trusting in God for everything. Oh, yes, she was a woman of faith. And remember the Torah, the Word says in Genesis 15, 6, that Abram believed God, and that was accounted to him as righteousness. What am I saying? I'm saying that Abram pleased God by believing God, and God said that. He said, Abram believed me, and that's what I really want. And that was accounted to him as righteousness. It says, if he believes me, it's enough because then I can work with him because he'll, he'll believe in my care for him, my love for him. The Bible also says that for by grace we are saved through faith. You see, faith is important. Living by faith is important. God's Word says that without faith it's impossible to please God. For those who come to Him must believe that He is God and that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. And then Jeremiah also says, You will seek me, God says. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. All your heart. No reservations. No saying, you know, I'll follow you, God, but. I'll follow you, God, if. No, it's just, I'll follow you, God. And so, yes, Rebecca was a woman of faith. She didn't just take a tiny step into the unknown. She put it all on the line. She gave her life completely to the Lord. Now, she didn't just talk about faith as something that she only believed. She showed her faith. She demonstrated her faith by what she did. Faith is not something you talk about. Faith is something you live out in your life. James says in the New Testament, faith without works is dead, being alone. 
Faith that we have produces works. You don't have to strive to produce the works. When you are following God, when you're trusting in God, when you're going where God says, when you're doing what God says, you're not trusting in your own plans and your own thoughts and your own wisdom. You're trusting in His plans, His power, and His wisdom. Her faith was not alone. It was alive. Her faith was not frail. It was full. We have not yet seen our bridegroom, but we like the glimpses that we've caught of him and what we've heard about him. There is coming a day when we will see him with our eyes. But as Peter declared in Habrita Chadashah in the New Testament, even though we haven't seen him, we love him. That's in 1 Peter 1 verse 8. Now what about you? Are you a woman of faith? Are you a man of faith? Real faith? Mountain-moving faith? And even if you don't move mountains, will you let God move you to where He wants you to be? Will you leave it all behind to let God show Himself mighty in your life? Will you use your life to show others that God is faithful and that they can trust Him? With everything, with all their lives? And then finally, remember Genesis 24, verse 61, 62, right here in this chapter where it said, And Rebekah arose and her damsels, and they rode on the camels and followed the man, and the servant took Rebekah and went his way. And Isaac came from the way of the well, Lahiroi, for he dwelt in the south country. We know that Isaac knew that his father had sent the servant to find a bride for him. He doesn't go and look for her himself. In the Jewish tradition, the father would arrange the marriage for his son. He wanted to please his son, get him the wonderful best bride for him. And upon agreement, both of the fathers, the father of the bride and the father of the groom-to-be, would then be betrothed at a simple ceremony in which cups of wine were exchanged and a dowry was given. Then the son would return to the father's house to build a dwelling place for his bride either close to or adjoining the house of the father. Here's what I'm saying. The father arranged the wedding. And once the son knew that the father was finding the bride, he would go away and prepare the place for his bride when she came. And the father would make a place that was close by his place, his throne in the case of Yeshua HaMashiach. He would make a place close to the father's throne in the father's kingdom. And he would go away and prepare that place. And then at the proper day, the servant, the Holy Spirit, would bring the bride to the Son. And the Father and the Holy Spirit would present the bride to the Son. And there would be a wedding. When the Father deemed everything to be properly prepared, he would send his Son out to call for his bride. And he would run out to join him. And she would run out to join him. And Jesus said, In my Father's house are many dwelling places or mansions. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's in John 14, verse 2 and 3. When will this day be? Well, Jesus himself said, No man knows the day or the hour, not even the Son of Man knows the day or the hour, Jesus said. I don't even know it, but the Father will tell me. 
when it's time. That was in Mark 13, 32. But this much is sure. Like the brides of old, when our bridegroom calls for us, we will run up to meet him. Not in the streets, however, but this time in the air. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 speaks of that time when he calls us and we are raised to meet him and join together with him in the clouds in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Most of us are watching for the Lord. But there's something more important than that. That is the Lord, as seen in the person of Isaac, being at the well of Lohai Rui, which translates into the Lord sees, the Lord is watching for us. Yes, we're watching for the Lord, but more importantly, the Lord is watching out for us. He longs for us more than we long for Him. Why? Because we can only speculate concerning the wonderful things that God has prepared for us who love Him. But He knows what He's prepared for those who love Him. And He's excited about it as things that our imagination cannot even comprehend. Isaac went out to meditate in the field that evening, it said. And that just means he went out to pray in the same way the Son's praying for us. He's watching for us. He's praying for us. You see the story of how the Holy Spirit of God was sent to the Father to safely bring back a bride for His Son, Jesus. That's the story of Genesis 24. It foretells what the Messiah would be doing. It foretells what the Father would be doing in planning the wedding of His Son. It foretells the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the messenger who goes and brings back the bride to the Son. Will you give your life to God? And let Him take you on this great journey of faith. It's the greatest journey imaginable. And when you trust in the constant presence of Almighty God to lead you into the unknown, you will find that He shows you great and wonderful things that you could not possibly imagine. That He will constantly amaze you with His power, and His tender love and compassion for you. And you will discover His unfailing care for you throughout your life. Will you give your life to Him? Will you embark on that journey in faith in Him? A journey of trust in God. Will you embark on that journey today? If you will, you'll find the very purpose of your life. The reason why you're here on this earth. And the amazing plan that God has ordained for you from the beginning of time. Scripture says, eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has at any time even entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. But He has revealed them to them through His Holy Spirit. Will you trust God to guide you in life? Will you trust Him to lead you through all your decisions, guide you through all your trials, safely direct your steps and bring you to the place where He is? Give your life to Him and watch the wonderful things that He will do. Amen. Why don't you give your life to God today, right now? If you call out to Him, He'll hear that cry and He'll answer you and He'll rescue you from that darkness that you've been in. He'll shine His light on your heart and you'll be given a new life. He'll change you into a new person. Throw all those past failures away. You'll be made completely new, given a new start. And He'll give you everlasting life in heaven. 
And that's guaranteed by God Himself. I want to give you a chance today, an opportunity to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and Lord and to receive God's peace in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save you from judgment. Just pray something like this, and you can repeat it after me if you'd like. Just say, God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I believe on your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I'll tell you something. If you prayed that prayer, God heard you. And He's already started working in your life. A little seed's been planted deep down in your heart. And over time, you're going to begin to see the wonderful changes that God's making in your life. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about Him every day in His Word. Talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do beautiful things in your life.